0: And he knew that those believers he was trusting, he said, we know that you're going to come into this place of salvation. And so in Hebrews chapter 6, we continue. And in Hebrews 6, we start at verse 9. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we're confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. We know that you're coming with salvation. You're going to have salvation because you're going to trust in Christ and Christ alone and nothing added. Verse 10, God is not unjust. He'll not forget your work and the love you have shown uh, Him as you've helped His people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence uh, to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit What has been promised? Wow, through faith and patience. He wants us to imitate those who through faith and patience inherited what has been promised. How many of you have relied on a promise of God, but it sure seems to be taking an awful long time? That timing of the Lord doesn't seem to be equal to our expectation. Our faith wavers we, we don't understand, we can't comprehend, especially in an American society where everything is demanded now. Now. I want it now. I want it faster. It's amazing to me how ingrained in our flesh that spirit is. Most of us don't even recognize it till you go to a foreign culture, another society, and you begin to see how ugly this is, this impatient, this demanding, this mine, now I deserve, I want. And it slips into our psyche without our even knowing it because we're just bathed in this culture by it and it's seeped into our Christianity and we have that same expectation with God. I want it now. And God says, I want you to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what's been promised. And he goes on, he says, When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after patiently waiting, Abraham received what was promised. Wow. Really, look at this. Abraham and Sarah, the timetable for them to receive what was promised to them. Abraham was uh, 75 years old when he was promised by the Lord to have a son. Fifteen years later, he and Sarah figure out maybe it should be by our means and our way. And so he sleeps with Hagar. And they have Ishmael. But that's not it. And God corrects them, and so they're renewed in their promise. God speaks to them again, and another 10 years later. 10 years. Where were you 10 years ago? Another 10 years later, they have their son. 25 years they waited for a promise. Where were you 25 years ago? Calculate how old were you 25 years ago? And most of us if we didn't get it in a year, 2 years or 3 years, ah, it isn't for me. It's not for me. Could I ask you to go back 25 years to a stirring, maybe to a service, to an altar, maybe to a prayer time when you knew God moved on you, you knew God said something to you, but it's been 25 years. Don't give up on that promise. What's 25 years? They waited 25 years. He says, I want you, you Jews, you Hebrews. He said, I want you to come through this thing. Persevere. Messiah has come. Persevere and enter into him. This is what we've been waiting for, Israel. God is faithful to His promises. Now, I know Abraham had to wait 25 years, but that promise to Abraham was to the Jews of that day for Messiah to come. How many thousands of years since the promise of Abraham that Jesus came? Well, here it is. Don't give up now. How many people have canceled out walking into a miracle because they quit the day before? Oh, my. He says, persevere. But what is amazing about this promise is that God, having no one else to swear by that's greater than him, said, I swear by myself. He explains an oath. He says in verse 14, he tells us what the oath is, and so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised, 25 years. Men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all the arguments. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of His purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, He confirmed it by His own self, with His own oath. Now does God have to say, when He tells you something, does God have to say, "I, I, I want this for you, I promise this to you, and by My name I make an oath? Does He need to do that? God does not lie. But He went a step further and condescended to our inability to trust Him by making an oath. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is amazing. Some of you think you have frustrated God's patience. No way. You think you have given Him a run for His money. Oh, come on. Read the Bible. You know how patient He is with us? He is so patient, he is so loving, he is so caring that he, in fact, would put human flesh upon himself, come into this world, wash our feet, and then die by our hands and forgive us of our sins. My God, that's the God I serve. That's my Jesus, holy and righteous, confirming his own oaths with his own blood. Praise God. What did he promise Abraham? When Abraham was ready to kill the promise that God had given him, he, he was challenged by God to exercise faith and he brought Isaac, his son, that he waited 25 years for. By that time, he's 100, his wife is 90 years old, and they conceive and have a child. Wow. In the book of Romans, it says that he hoped against all hope. Truly, there was no hope biologically, physically, that they could have a kid. But he hoped against all hope and put his hope in God. God said this, I swear by myself, declares the Lord. You didn't have to do that, God. You didn't have to do that. Why did you do that? Isn't it enough that God said so? I told you once, Abraham. I told you twice, Abraham. I walked in the midst of the sacrifice. I made covenant. I showed up. I made it eternal. I put a sleep on you and I walked through it so it could never, ever be broken. But I'm going to go another step. After I cut covenant with you, after I told you I'd do it once, told you I'd do it twice, I am now going to tell you a third time I am going to do this, but I'm also going to swear by my name that I'll do this thing. Why did he do that? And it says here, the writer of Hebrews tells us, he says this, he God wanted to make the unchanging nature, the immutable nature of God, of His purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He wanted to make it very clear. That's why. He wanted to make it very clear how often God has to clarify Himself to us over and over. Let me make this very clear. You cannot live without me. Let me make this very clear. You'll not make it on your own efforts. Let me make this very clear. You need my intervention. God will remind you of that often, often. He'll make it very clear by letting you wander on your own strength and ability till you come crashing down. And he says, let me make this very clear. You need me. He said, I want to make this thing so clear that throughout time in history it will never be forgotten that I spoke a promise and I gave an oath. Two things. In fact, the writer of Hebrews goes on and we're going to talk about that in a second. Two things. He says this. He confirmed it with an oath. God this, uh, God did this so that by two unchanging things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope of offered to us me, uh, of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. He wanted to make it very clear, and he wanted to have us encouraged by two unchanging things. Look, God can't lie. God cannot lie. If God lies, he's no longer God. He's no longer holy. He's no longer just. The universe will cease to exist. He cannot lie. He is truth. And he gave two unchanging things, Those two unchanging things he wants to encourage us by and he wants us to hold on to those two things. A promise and an oath. God made a promise and God made an oath. I have spoken my word, which is true, and I have sworn by my name to do this thing. Those two unchanging, immutable things are what he wants you to hold on to. And he goes on to explain that. God cannot lie. And he says this, We who have fled to take hold of the hope. Why do you use that word, we who have fled? Because he's speaking about Abraham. When was righteousness credited to Abraham? When he left the land of his fathers. And he followed the word that God said, the promise He said, I will make you a great nation. I want you to leave your father's house and come with me. And when he fled that land, when he left that land, it was accredited or immuted unto him. uh, 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 What is that word? Imputed. Thank you, Stephen. Imputed unto him. Righteousness. Righteousness. Imputed, credited unto him, because he left. Now he's saying, all of you who will do the same thing, Israel, you Hebrews, if you will leave the land of your fathers into the new covenant of Jesus. That's where the promise and the oath lies. Because his name, which is the oath, and Jesus is the word, has come to fulfill that unchanging thing. And so we go on. We have this hope. We who have fled to take hold of the hope, take hold of the hope, offered to us may be greatly encouraged. Now, I don't think you're going to be encouraged if you don't take hold. You have to take hold of this thing. You have to own it. You have to hold on to it. The Hebrews were not willing to hold on to Christ. They were not willing to hold on. They were ready to say, well, I don't think so. They were ready to loose. What was the only way of salvation that was earlier spoken of in Hebrews 6? You can't go back from this thing. You'll never find repentance apart from Christ, from the cross. You walk away, you're re-crucifying Him. You're turning, you're rejecting Him, just as Israel did once. You can't do this. And he said, you must hold firmly this hope. And when you do, you will be encouraged. Why will we be encouraged? And he goes on to say this. We have this hope As an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. An anchor for our soul. He is the anchor, and he, say, he he Himself the anchor, which is firm and sure. He is the oath fulfilled. He is the word fulfilled. And He went into the, behind the veil, He went into the Holy of Holies, and He secured Himself on the throne of God. If you would anchor yourself there, you will be always anchored from heaven to the promise of God. Now, the, what is so awesome about this is to consider that word He chose, anchor. He specifically is giving an illustration of an anchor in this verse because of the two things given. Now look at an anchor is one of the most ancient symbols of the church. When you go through the Roman catacombs and the early Christian believers, one of the main symbols that you would see is an anchor. Why? Consider this. An anchor has two flukes, traditionally. I don't know why they're called flukes. I don't know where that came from. But these two flukes are what grabs and secures the anchor to the ground and buries itself so it is immovable. So no matter what sea, no matter what storm, no matter what the waters are like, that anchor will hold and grip the solid rock. Those two flukes, brothers and sisters, I believe the writer of Hebrews specifically said, you will be anchored because, whoa, I didn't do that, of the two unchanging things that is our security. Number one, God's promise, and the other fluke, the other part of the anchor, God's oath. It's by these two things. He said salvation is yours, and I am your God, and you are mine. And you are Abraham's seed. So everything promised to Abraham has now become yes to you because you are anchored by the two flukes of the anchor, the two things that grip my oath and my promise, says God. I will never go back on my oath and my promise ever. Christ is our anchor. He is the oath fulfilled. He is the word fulfilled. And so he's our anchor. And I love what the writer of Hebrews says. I'm telling you this so you would be encouraged, but you must hold on and hold fast to the anchor of hope. Hope is everything. And he said, this is not a false hope. This is a hope based on God's oath and God's word. And that hope is set in heaven, anchored right now at the throne of God, attached to every believer. This is not an anchor that was thrown into the depths of the sea downward. This is an anchor that was taken up into glory and secured to the very throne of God. Come on, pull on it. Come on, tug on it. Be tossed to and fro. You can't loose the anchor of God's oath and God's word. He'll never release you. He'll never leave you, nor will he forsake you. Why? Because you're anchored to the rock. You will never be let go. We have a hope, this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, a hope for your soul. That's the biggest problem we have, our soul, our heart, our emotions, our intellect, our will. I need something that won't shift. I need something that stays the same, because I'm so wishy-washy, I'm so tossed to and fro. Oh, I'm a man of great faith. I know and understand many things in the Word of God, but just get another hit me broadside once again with some issue and I'm on my back going, oh God, I don't know what to do. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Then you're reminded I'm anchored to God. His oath and His promise will never let me go. My soul will be anchored to those promises. And the more you've gone through life and the more you've been tried and the more you've been tested, you recognize God is my rock. I shall not be moved. Oh, firm and secure. He's our anchor. That's why he uses this term to be anchored by God. Romans chapter 4, verse 18. You can turn there or I can read it to you. He says this, Against all hope Romans 4, verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed. And so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him. Oh, I love that. That's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us about the story of Abraham. Who with no hope, and against all hope, (laughs) in hope, believed. Now, come on, how do you do that? Let's, let's flesh that out. Against all hope. In hope believed. Now, how could he do that? If there's no hope in this situation. Against all hope. Against all hope. There's no hope in this situation. Dude, you're 90 years old. Right? By this time, he's 100 years old. You're 100 years old. Your wife's 90. Really? Now, I'm not going to get into the argument in the bedroom either. Sarah? You're 100, I'm 90. Come on, how many of you have thought and seen situations where there is absolutely no hope? But see, how many of us have been there? because there is help from maybe some other resources maybe family, maybe the government maybe some situations maybe someone will come along really, when is it when we've been absolutely without any hope those are tough times those are very difficult times to be in but in hope now, now there had to be another resource do you see what I'm getting at Against all hope. That means that all material resources were gone. All familiar, all family resources were gone. All government resources were gone. All sympathies and care was gone. There was no hope, absolutely no situation that was going to change for Abraham. The time went by. You can't reverse it. There is absolutely no hope in this situation. He had to draw from another source. And this is what the world doesn't understand. They don't get it. That there you must have another source to live through this life, to get out of this world. I have to have another resource than human kindness. I need to have another resource than the financial well-being of my friends and this nation. I have to have another resource. And so what Abraham did is, in hope, against all hope, he had hope in one thing sorry, two things. God's word and God's oath. The anchor. The anchor. He'd pull on that word. He'd doubt that word. That anchor would flip over into God's oath. I swore by who I am. Don't you understand, brothers and sisters, God swore by who he was literally by dying for us. I swore an oath by my blood. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Oh, man. Oh, man. And so against all hope he believed, and in verse 21 it says, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. Abraham played around with that thing. Him and Sarah, they couldn't figure it out. He promised, he made an oath, but maybe we're supposed to do it like this. Maybe we're supposed to try this and have this other kid and we'll inherit him and and bring him in. No, he was finally persuaded it's by God's power and not ours. There's nothing we can do to this thing. It is just God. Hope is the most powerful thing. Do you know that you cannot have faith unless you have hope? Hebrews 11, we'll get into it later, but faith is the substance of things hoped for. Without hope, hope is everything. Hope is essential. Hope is the only thing that's going to get you from where you are into where you need to be. Hope is the vision. Faith is the working out of getting there. Hope is the vision to see it. Our hope, as the writer of Hebrews said, is sitting at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He is the oath and the word that will never change. He is anchored in heaven and He is attached to you. And there is nothing that's going to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He had the word and the oath. He is the one who will save us. I want to tell you for my own life personally that I could have never made it to where I am today without hope. On my 17th birthday, I was, I'm sitting in a funeral home because just four days earlier, my father hung himself by the water pipe in the basement and I had to cut him down. Limp in my arms, I could barely hold the dead weight till he fell on the ground with my mother screaming. At 17 years old, I didn't know what was up, what was down, what was right, what was left. I had no idea how to live my life from here on out, and if this is life, I don't think I want it. The pain, the heartache of losing my father whom I loved dearly and who loved me dearly, who I didn't have the sense or understanding of what torment he had been going through. If I could have said this, if I could have said that, you play that game. The night before he killed himself I was sitting in our church. It was empty. I had a key. My mom was the secretary of the church. I went there. I sat in this, in the sanctuary and I prayed to God for my father. Help him whatever it is. I felt good after praying, went home and woke up that morning to my mother screaming of him being dead. Now, what do you do with that? 17 and 18, I didn't care so much about high school anymore. I just didn't know what to do with my life. I was struggling. I was troubled. I couldn't get out of this depression. It was thick. I could taste it. I could smell it. I could hear it. I could feel it. It's like being in a pit you cannot get out of. Till one day, a revelation came to me. I felt a tug from an anchor, I felt a chain around me that was never going to let me go. And I remembered that if there is a God, if there is a God, nothing stays the same. Because he is greater than life, he is greater than death. If there is a God, then there will be a change. That's all I had. That was it. That was it. From there, I didn't know how long, I didn't know how, I didn't know when or what it would take or what it would be. But I knew, I'm not going to stay in this place. And that anchor began to pull me out. One day at a time, with hope, with hope, with hope. It's going to change. It's going to change. It's going to change. That's what I'm telling you this morning. It's going to change. It's going to change. It's going to change. My soul is anchored to a rock to Jesus Christ. My soul has been anchored to the Lord our God. Hallelujah. I'm reminded this morning, we're going to sing it at the end of an old Negro spiritual, that my heart is anchored to the Lord. And I'm reminded of, a, of what was called the kettle prayers. Many of the slaves in early America would, would have to cook a big black metal urns. They would cook. They would dye things. They would do all sorts. Of that, whole, that kettle was huge. It was a big vat. And they did all the farm work and all the chores and that thing. It was very precious. Because at night, when the slave owner went to bed, they would turn that black kettle upside down and come underneath inside of it And they would begin to pray. And they would begin to cry out to God in a secret place. And they would look for a hope and a future to be free. Because they would begin to sing, My soul is anchored to God. It's called a kettle prayer. That kettle is their safety. And that metal reminded them of the anchor that they were held to. Brothers and sisters, this morning, hope is is the power to get you out. Hope is the thing that's going to change everything. Would you begin to sing that song, a song of hope, a song of change, a song of deliverance, because it's coming. It's on its way. Amen? Let's bow our heads.